my goodness. Do you remember the story of bacon in the Bible? Can we please go into those pigs? Sure you can. What did Jesus, what was he thinking? I don't know, bacon. Uh, my name is Don Andreessen, and uh, this is not my first time here. My dad purchased property uh, on, on the lake in uh, 1943 with a vision to see a Christian boys camp started. Um, he was a doctor at the time, and I, I was just thinking this morning of the amazing story, you know, of uh, how that property, I, I won't tell the story of how it came to be in my father's possession, that was amazing. But uh, my, when my dad retired uh, as a doctor, the money he had flowing into the camp stopped, and so he was trying to sell it to another Christian organization that might continue it as a boys' camp and girls' camp, but was unable to find anyone, and uh, finally sold it to a developer who put a lot of money into that property, zoning appeals and all that sort of thing. And um, he, uh, nine months later, my dad was approached by somebody who said, we have a Christian trust, we'd like to buy the camp property and continue it as a camp, the Bennett family. Um, and I still remember calling the owner, the new owner, the developer, who is not a Christian, and asking whether he'd consider selling the property back so that it could continue as a camp. And he said, well, I had a dream. And in the dream, I was walking the boundaries of that property, and there was a man walking with me. And we'd go along, and then we'd stop, and he would wave his arm like this and say, this is mine. Yeah, a little further, this is mine. This is mine. You know, God has the best property in Lake Winnipesaukee. It still is. God is just bigger and smaller than we think. And uh, I want to share a little bit this morning about the vision of God for you and me. Uh, but I just wanted to introduce a couple of books that I've written. I never thought I'd write any books. But Power to Pray is something that I wrote out of experiences of leading people in prayer in Spain and in Kingston, Massachusetts and other places because I am not somebody who just takes to prayer like water, like ducks take to water. I, it's not, not me. I, I know the value of prayer, but it's hard for me to pray. Uh, and these are things that I felt like the Lord shared with me and I shared with other people that were helpful in helping us pray because God needs us to pray, wants us to pray. He just doesn't make it easy for us to pray sometimes. So this is here along with a study guide my, uh, Nancy's written that's been very helpful for small groups. Anyway, then here's a book I didn't want to write, and this has come out just a few weeks ago, a m month ago. Um, it's called We Can Do This, Understanding the Homosexual Debate and the Love of God. Um, this has been, of course, a huge issue, and it came out of a, the book came out of a meeting we had with our leadership team in October last year. Uh, where we were just talking about all the different points of contact with all of us in our lives. And I promised that I would do a presentation for the leadership team that kind of drew together all the things that have been going on and what the Bible says and what the things that have been reinterpreted and so forth. Uh, little did I know that it would take me nine months of research and work. And I remember sitting at my desk. I, I didn't tell this in the first service. But I'm sitting at my desk one day just thinking, God, you are, this is, I don't want to do this. The other people 
are much better writers than me. They think better. And I felt like the Lord said, Don, I made you the way you are. This is your assignment. Do it. Okay. Anyway, so um, these books are available. They cost some money, not a lot of money, $13 and $14. Um, and they're available at the table over there after the service. So. But God has many other good things to do. And I want to just share some of these thoughts with you today. And I want to begin by looking at Ephesians chapter 3. You know, leaders have an ability to cast vision. Uh, they have an ability to communicate vision to others so that others can see what they see. And oftentimes in leadership meetings or in leadership books, you'll see the phrase, uh, an ability to see a preferred future. Now, the greatest leader of all is God. He is leader of leaders. And he has vision. And he casts vision. And he projects not just a preferred future, but a promised future. The Bible is God's way of communicating to you and me his vision. It's a strategy I don't think I would have used. I would much prefer, you know, God like talking from clouds directly in loud voices like Bill Cosby. And yes, we can pay attention to that. We can understand that. But that's not his strategy. His strategy is he inspired just men and women like you and me to write words down in this book. And this book contains God's vision, not of his preferred future, but of his promised future. And he's inviting us to look at it, to partake of it, and to understand what it is that he's up to because we have choices to make as to whether or not we want to follow his leadership and bring about the future that he's promised or not. You know, there's a uh, passage in Luke chapter 7, you don't need to turn there, uh, where Jesus is talking about John the Baptist, and he says of John the Baptist, he's the greatest of all the prophets. And then he turns to the people and he says, but the least of you who enter the kingdom of heaven are greater than him. And then he turns to the Pharisees, and he, he looks at the Pharisees, and the Pharisees, it says, as Luke writes it, uh, they just didn't, didn't believe this. They got mad at what Jesus was saying. They didn't accept it. And then it says, they did not accept the plan of God for their life because they refused to understand that John had come with a message from God. That is, they had their agenda about how God ought to do things, and because John didn't fit their agenda, they rejected him, and therefore they were rejecting God's plan for their life. Do you realize you and I this morning have plans of God for us? He has a vision for your future, and it's a promised future. It's one that he will bring about, but we cannot experience that plan. We cannot have that plan accomplished. We cannot make that plan come to pass in our life by having our agenda instead of God's agenda. And so I want to talk a little bit about God's agenda for us this morning, as said, beginning here in Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians 3, beginning at verse 14. 
When I think of all this, says Paul, when I think of all this, all what? Well, he spent the first uh, two and a half chapters talking about the amazing plan of God in Jesus, sending his son who would die for us, and in that process allow those of us who were separated from him be drawn into relationship with him. And then Paul says, in light of all this, I fall to my knees. I am just struck with awe at what God has done. I am humbled by the amazing plan that God has brought about and that I'm part of. And then he says, I pray to the Father. So I fall to my knees when I think of what God has done and is doing and has in store. And then I'm praying. What am I praying? The creator of everything in heaven and earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down deep into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to be understood fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. As Paul is thinking about God, as he is reflecting on God, as he is praying to God, as he is in his presence, he is realizing, wow, everything centers in the love that God has for us. And I want to strengthen you so you can fully comprehend it. Why? Because we don't. Now, he tells us in advance, okay, you're never going to fully understand the height, width, breadth of the love of God. But you can understand a lot more than you do now. How many of you think this morning, just think about this, how many of you think this morning that you have maximized your understanding of God's love for you and the people around you? Any, anybody? One person. No. And yet, we, we, I mean, I think we just fail to grasp how significant that is. You know, how many of you struggle with insecurity in different ways? Okay, a lot of hands. Me too. What helps us change? Knowing God loves us. He fully loves us. He made us. He knows us intimately. And instead of turning his face away, he turns his face towards. And he says, I want you. I want to cover you with my love. You know, God is like, it says, the groom who's pursuing the bride. I want to love you. Would you let me? I don't know any, how many of you have ever had a, a love that didn't quite work out. You loved them. They did not love you. Yes. A few more hands. <laughs> okay, the other way around. Okay. Well, I, I've certainly experienced unrequited love. There's no way you can love the person unless they want you to love them. There's no way God can love us unless we want him to love us. There's no way we can understand 
how much he loves us unless we're opening up to what that really is. And it is am- isn't it amazing that Paul, as he writes this, says not just I want you to understand with your mind. He says, I want you to experience the love of Christ. I want you to feel it. I want you to experience it, not just up here, but here. God's love is amazing. But in this passage, then, Paul says, here's the things that I'm praying for that come through God to us. Life, power, life, power. What kind of life does God give you and I? Eternal life, yeah. Eternal life, though, sounds like 10,000 years and then forevermore. It's sort of like, you know, one day after another after another and just never ending. But that's not what eternal life is. Eternal life is the resurrection life of God that absolutely changes and transforms all creation. One day, all the earth and all of heaven will be made new in the same way that Jesus went into the tomb old and came out new. And you and I are going to go and become new. And God says, already that is at work, my life in you. When you put your faith in Jesus, something unbelievable that cannot be put in a Bunsen burner test tube happens to you. You receive God's resurrection life. And his power is released towards you and through you. You know, Dick was telling the story uh, earlier this morning of being uh, over to sign the lease or at first investigate the property in Wolfboro where the the church there is going to move into this new space in October. And uh, the second time they met the uh, landlady, they were talking about what was going to happen, and they noticed she was like doing this. And Dick finally said, there's something wrong. Well, you know, my neck and shoulder have been bothering me. Can we pray for you? Uh... Okay. That's just what we do, you know, so pray for her. And what happened? She got healed. Whose power was released when they prayed? Yeah. This is, this is the thing that God is inviting us into. He loves us, and he loves them, and he wants to get that love at work. And we're the ones who... Express, express it or we limit it. Now, here's the... That's just like introduction. Here's the weird thing. Now, Paul says, All glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. That's not the surprising part. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Glory to him in the church. When you think of the church, do you think of the glory of God? Yes, no. Here's what I think, no. The church, we get trouble. We get problems. And yet Paul is saying, listen, you don't understand the vision of God. His glory is meant to be in two places, the church and Jesus Christ. And that's it. There is no other strategy. God has no other plan on the horizon. And it's not just one day he's going to have a church that has his glory. 
it's all the generations, from generation to generation. We haven't passed the bad part of the church, and we're waiting for the good part of the church. We have always been in the church in which God's glory is being revealed, if we let it. If we let it. You know, I had a friend. His, he's now died, unfortunately. Um, but one of the most unique people I've ever met. He was, for a number of years, head of the uh, prophetic ministry team training out at Kansas City Fellowship, the Vineyard Kansas City, whatever it is now. Anyway, big church out there. And... Um, where Mike Bickle was pastor for years. Uh, David Dryling was his name. David was a fairly short guy. He was Jewish, had one of the most amazing testimonies of being saved as a hippie drug person back in the uh, 60s. And I remember David first coming to our church. He's sitting in the front row, and all of a sudden I notice he's doing something really weird. So I go, thinking, you know, has he got a tick? Is this a problem? What is he? David, what's going on? Oh, I'm just looking at the angels. Oh, looking at the angels. Okay, that was David. He just had, like, other eyes. And uh, I remember David talking to me once on the phone a few years ago. And we've been investing in Spain as a church in partnership with some other vineyards to uh, start a church planting movement and develop a church planting movement in Spain. And David said, you know, you're doing the good thing said, I mean, I travel all over the world. I travel with my prophetic people. We have a ministry conference. Great things happen. God shows up. Then we leave. He says, but you're planning a church. That's the heart of God. You know, when John sees a vision of Jesus at the beginning of the book of Revelation, he reveals himself as the glorious one. His, his hair, you know, is white as snow. His eyes are like flames of fire. There's a sword coming from his mouth. I mean, he's awesome. And where is he standing? In the midst, it says, of the candlesticks, which represent the seven churches, which represent the sevenfold churches, which rep represent all the churches. Where is Jesus? He's in the church. Remember one Sunday morning, I was uh, preaching on something or other. I can't remember what it was. And that scripture came to my mind, and I began to just share, Jesus is right here. And there was a girl sitting back right where you were sitting right now, looking at me so intently. Yes, that's you. She, that's, she was sitting right there. And uh, <clears throat> in her mind, she was saying, really? Jesus, here? I have a massive headache. Jesus, if you're really here, heal my headache. And immediately her headache left. And she said, this is perfectly normal, coincidence. <laughs> and the headache came back. Huh. Okay. If you're really here, take my headache away. Boom. Gone. Now she's, you know, like her eyes are a little wider. Ha! <laughs> Coincidence. Headache came back. Okay. This is it. If you take my headache away, I will believe that you're here. Headache gone. And she gave her life to Jesus. Jesus is in the church. The glory of God is in the church. You're in the church. You know, the church is continually trying to become what it really is. Do you realize all of us are trying to become who we really are? 
See, we need to begin to recognize the church is on a mission of trying to become what it really is already. I want you to look at four texts in Acts that describe what happens when people get saved. Acts, you know, is this wonderful book where Jesus passes the baton. And it's the beginning of the church, and people immediately begin to get saved. Peter shares the first sermon right after Pentecost. And in chapter 2, after finishing the sermon, it says this, Those who believed what Peter said were baptized. This is verse 41. Those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 and all. They believed in Jesus, and there wasn't some separate ceremony. They were just added to the church. They were added to what already was going. People discussing things, people praying for things, people deciding who's going to you know, take Judas's place. I mean, all that kind of thing happening. Praying, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. The Holy Spirit comes. People are added to the church immediately. Do you realize when you share Jesus with someone and they believe in Jesus, they are immediately added to the church? What are they going to do about it? See, this, this is where the weird part of human life comes in and God, as God designed it. Because we can become what we now are or not. You know, when you want to get married, it doesn't make any difference what you've done ahead of time. You're not married until you come to the altar, take your vows. Then you're married. I don't care what you did in bed before. I don't care what you did in the back seat before. It makes no difference until you say your vows, you're not married. But now that you are married, will you become married? Ah, that's a little different. See, how many of us had fathers? Good, some of you just don't want to raise your hand. That's, that's all right. How many of you had fathers who became what they were? How many of you have had fathers who didn't? Yeah. See, we are the church. Everyone who believes in Jesus is added to the church, but then we become what we are or not. Isn't that weird? Look at Acts chapter 2, verse 47. All the while... The people who joined together were praising God. They were enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Added to the church, now added to the fellowship. What's fellowship? Fellowship is connection. Fellowship is relationship. Fellowship is sharing life to life. Fellowship is becoming part of, you know, a small group where you're sharing life together week by week. They were added to the church, they were added to the fellowship. Look at chapter 5, verse 14. Yet more and more people believed and were brought to the Lord. That, that's so interesting because that's not what the Greek text says. It doesn't say brought, it says added. They were added to the Lord. And I often wonder, okay, the people translating this, what were they thinking? Okay, like we can't be added to Jesus. Oh, yeah? We are. 
When a person believes in Jesus, they're added to the church, they're added to the fellowship, they are added to Jesus himself. Do you realize that the church is the body of Christ? We'll, we'll see a text in just a minute that spells that out. We're not us and then Jesus, although in some sense that's absolutely true, but in another real sense, we are his hands and feet on the earth. Acts chapter 1, Luke writes, you know, the first book, Theophilus, I wrote, that was the Gospel of Luke, to talk about what Jesus began to do and teach. And the implication is now I'm writing things that once he ascended to heaven, he continued to do and teach. How did he do that? Through us, people. We're his body. We're members of his body. We're added to his body. Look at the last one here, 11, chapter 11, verse 24. And many people were brought to the Lord. Again, translators didn't quite get this. Added, the Greek word is added. In every one of those four places, the Greek word is the same, added. They were added to the church, added to the fellowship, added to the Lord, just in case you didn't believe it, added to the Lord. Okay. So the church is learning to become who we are. The church has always been learning to become who we are. So there's complaints in the early church right at the very beginning because the widows from the Hellenistic side are not getting as much food, so they say, as the widows from the Jerusalem Jewish side. And the apostles say, gee, what should we do? And they think, well, uh, I don't really know, but it seems to me like we shouldn't be doing that part of the job. Let's see if we can get some other people to do that. And then they say, well, uh, how are we going to do that? I don't know. Uh, what should we do? How about let, let's, let's let everybody nominate somebody, and then we can approve of it and pray for them. Oh, that sounds like a good idea. They didn't have a blueprint. If you're looking for a church with a blueprint, you won't find one. We're all in the process of trying to figure out how this works, how we get it done. You know, and it's wonderful as a leader in a church to have the grace of God's people saying, hey, we know you don't really know what you're doing, but, you know, do the best you can. We'll help you because we're all on the same team trying to become who we really are. The church decides, I don't know what we're going to do with all that land out there. Uh, how about if we send out Paul and Silas? Oh, that sounds like a good idea. What are we going to do with all these Gentiles who don't, get circumcised and aren't eating kosher food. I don't know. Let's talk about it. Let's pray about it. Let's try to figure out, how about a letter with four stipulations? That sounds like a good idea. What are we going to do with that letter? Let's send it out with some prophets. Oh, that's a great idea because they can, like, give some prophetic ministry and that'll everybody gets encouraged by it. Now, all I'm saying is we are in a process of learning to become who we really are. I want to look at one final text in Romans chapter 12. Romans, like Ephesians, Paul writes of all the amazing things God has done from chapter 1 all the way through chapter 11 with the Jews, with Gentiles, with Abraham, and with all the amazing uh, parts of you know, his gospel of wholeness and health. And then in verse 12, in chapter 12, he gets, let's be practical. 
So, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he'll find acceptable. Sort of sounds like Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me. Give your whole self to God and his purposes. Give yourself to God's agenda instead of yours. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you'll learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. First thing Paul is saying practically is, you know what? You are this new person in Christ Jesus, but you need to be made into who you are. And part of the way that happens is by being transformed in your thinking the way you think about things, the way you see things. You know, our mind is a very amazing thing, and we often don't use it well. I don't know if you realize what our culture is doing to us. It is making us into non-thinking people. It barrages us with information, but doesn't tell us how to put it all together. You know, if you were just to spend your whole life Every day, except for eating, reading one word after another of the Bible, how much would you be transformed? Not much. You've got to read it and then think about it and take it in and turn it over and think, how does this apply and how does this connect and how does this make a difference? And the thing that we are being pushed to not, to not do is the thing that God means us to have to do, and that is to take time personally, to just spend time thinking, meditating, praying, spending time with God himself so that he can transform us. You know, there was a, a young man who graduated from high school, went to college, and in his, one of his first classes, he's sitting there, and after two weeks, the teacher came up to him and said, hey, how come you think so much more deeply and broadly than anybody else in this class? And the kid looked at her and said, I, I don't really know, but you know, I come from a farm. And I spent a long time on that tractor in the back 40. Just by myself, thinking, meditating, praying. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's something we have to participate in in order for God to do it. Look at verse uh, 4. Just as our bodies have many parts and each part is a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We're many parts of the body. We all belong to each other. Now, that is an astonishing verse. It does not say that in the same way that bodies work, it's sort of that way with us. No, it says this. Just as our bodies have many parts, each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. What is Christ's body? The church, his people. It's not like his body. It is his body. We are Jesus. We are him. We carry his love. We speak, and Jesus speaks. 
You know, when Jesus was here, he said, I don't do anything except what I see the Father do. I don't even teach on my own. I only teach what I hear the Father saying. That is, I know I am in full partnership with my senior partner. We have the choice of being in partnership with the senior partner or not. And guess what? It is hard to be in sync with him, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Come on. It's hard. It takes time and training. Uh, there's a story of a guy who was, con you know, with um, Daniel Boone in the Kentucky wilds. This is some years ago. And they're walking into the woods, and uh, Daniel Boone says, Oh, there's a deer here about mm, an hour ago. And the guy looks, What the? And then, Oh, there was a bear just about uh, probably six hours ago. What? And they went on like this. And finally, the guy said, you know, Daniel, what, how, do you, what do you, how do you know this stuff? He says, I've spent a long time in the woods watching and listening. You know, we're meant to be living a life that's paying attention to what God is doing around us or what he wants to do around us, what his preferred vision is for the people around us, what are actually the promised future for the people around us. Do you realize God has a vision and a purpose for every single person around you? Do you know what it is? I don't either. <laughs> but God does. And Jesus is here to bring that about. But he needs us because we're his body. Do you realize Jesus never did anything in Israel without his own body? The Gospels tell us. He was not in two places at once. But he was going to be. He is today. He's got at least... I don't know, 20, 30, 50, 100 sites right here in Laconia area where he is present. One of them is right here. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Do you know what the actual Greek behind that text is? Listen to this. In his grace, God has given us, oh no, God has given 20% of us different gifts for doing certain things well and the other 80% sorry <laughs> did you know that was you that no wonder the translators didn't translate that no it's not 20% of the people do 80% of the work it's 100% are the body of Christ each of us has gifts some are prophecy some are teaching some are hospitality some are serving there's a million different things that the body of Jesus wants to do, but can't without us, would with us. How about you? Think about this. You know, God is trying to help us rethink some of the ways that we think about our life. And first is, you know, you may be here today, and you've never actually put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never said to him, 
Jesus, I know you died for my sins. I know you have resurrection life for me, but that's under your control, and that's what I want. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And in that instant when you say that, he gives you that life, and then you begin to become what you already are. So if you're here this morning, if you've never given your life to Jesus in just a minute when we have a ministry time, I want to invite you to come to the front and pray with somebody and give your life to him. Become part of the church, part of the fellowship, and part of his body. Or maybe you're here this morning and you attend, but you're not a member. You've never committed yourself to this particular church. Why not? Why not become what you are? <laughs> But it's up to you. And I just encourage you, if you're not a member, you know, talk to somebody who is. Talk to Vic and, and, and Martha. Talk to whoever. I don't know who keeps the membership roles here. But whatever it takes to be a member, do it. Um, or maybe you're here, but although you're added to the fellowship, you're not part of a small group. Sunday morning is sort of like coming to a restaurant. You know, we go to restaurants, we can be fed, it's good food, that's good. But it's not the place where we live life. Small groups are that life-living fellowship that happens. And if you're not part of one, I just encourage you, sign up, get involved. It takes energy and effort and his priority instead of yours. But make it his priority. Or maybe you're here um, and you, 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 you're part of a small group, that's great, but you never serve. You don't do anything. You don't do anything to help the church become what it really is. I don't think people understand in my church how important it is for them to be there and then serve. Serving is what Jesus does. And if, if you're not serving, find some place and do it. And, uh, yeah, speak to these folks. They're wonderful. Um, and then maybe you're here this morning and you've never really, really understood that we're meant to be Jesus. You know, some of us have houses that have some locked doors. We go in, but nobody else gets in. And if you have some locked doors this morning, I just want to invite you to let Jesus into that place. Maybe it's the place you work. You're just, you don't talk about Jesus because you don't know what they'll do. Maybe it's your neighborhood. You don't want to share with your neighbors because you don't want to seem like a freak. I don't know. Maybe it's the person you get coffee from in the morning. I don't know. Wherever it is, be Jesus in that place. And this morning what you can do is say, Jesus, I want to be you wherever I've closed that door and opened those doors. Because God's glory is in his church. Let's stand. I just want to take a minute and see if there's somebody to whom God is speaking uh, about ministering to another person or sharing something in, in the middle of the service. Um, so let's just take a moment and be listening for that. And if that's you, just raise your hand, let me know, and 
we'll go from there. You know, some of you might be uncomfortable with a little silence because we like to keep the noise up all the time. But it's, it's worth being quiet. 